what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.TV podcast network. My name is Alan Jackson. Across the table from me is Chris Fry. We are both with the Foot Candle Film Society and the annual Foot Candle Film Festival. And Foot Candle Films is where we get together and we discuss new films. We give our reviews and analysis, and then we also share anything from movie news to recommendations of other films we think you ought to check out. And occasionally we'll play some trailers and talk about uh, movie trailers that we're interested in, in following. And Chris, we uh, we kind of lied last week. I don't know if, uh, if if it's okay for me to bring this up. I mean, I, I typically don't like to call attention to the fact whenever we tell a fib. Yeah. Um, but we did say we were done with 2023 last year because last week because we did our best of the year. Right. You know, we kind of did our final review. We thought we're like, okay, we're done. Buttoned up 2023, done year. We're moving on to the new year. Sure. Okay. Kind of light a little bit because technically both of the films we're going to be reviewing here in a moment are 2023 releases. They were ones that are still under consideration for uh, awards and so forth in the 2023 year. So we've still got a little 2023 to catch up on. I hope that's okay with everybody. But these are films that came out, I think, pretty much Christmas Day, I think, is when both of them came out. Right. Um, so, again, we're, we're, we're catching up with them relatively close to their to their opening date. Uh, don't know if they're even still showing in theaters, unfortunately. Both of them, I think, went pretty quick. Right. right. So that's going to be kind of our reviews is understanding, is that warranted? Why did these movies go and leave the theater so quick? And do we feel like that was a uh, justifiable thing or not based on our reviews? So enough teasing on that. The two films we're going to be reviewing are the latest from director Michael Mann starring uh, Mr. Adam Driver, Shailene Woodley, and it is Ferrari. And then we're going to be discussing the latest iteration of the film or the, the novel, the book, turned into a film, The Color Purple, this time as a musical. And we'll be discussing that film here shortly in a little bit. That one directed by Blitz Buzzerwool. Starring, it's just kind of a fun name to say. It is, yep. Starring Fantasia Barino, uh, Tarja P. Henson, and Daniel Brooks. So we've got two films to review and discuss. Again, both of them, I'll just go ahead and say, kind of bombed at the box office. Didn't make a lot of waves. I mean, again, I looked up in our local theater. Neither of these are playing as of today hmm. anymore. And they, they just premiered you know, two weeks ago. Sure. So that's a little tough, but again, that's what our reviews are here to decide. Are the theater chains making the right move or is the general public making the right move by kind of not going in flux to see these movies? We will, we will be the arbiters of deciding that here in just a moment. So Chris, are you so ready to get into our heavy responsibility? It, I did pile a lot onto <laughs> us here um, to get started this morning, but are you ready to get into our first review, which is Michael Mann's Ferrari? Sure. Okay, great. Chris said, sure. So we're ready to go. Let's get into it. Michael Mann's Ferrari. Two objects cannot occupy the same point in space. At the same moment in time. The corner races at you. You have perhaps a crisis of identity. 
by sportsmen or a competitor. Ferrari tells the story of Enzo Ferrari uh, and his auto empire at a time of crisis. This is back in the summer of 1957. The film focuses in on a very specific time period in Enzo's life. He himself, an ex-racer who's turned into an entrepreneur, he is constantly pushing himself and the drivers that he works for or works for him to the edge as they get ready to launch the uh, Miglia. I hope I said that right. Ah, Melamiglia, uh, which is a thousand mile race across Italy that it's kind of a make or break race for, for Ferrari. He needs to make sure he's got a good performance in this race to save his company all along the same time dealing with a failed failing marriage that is on uh, a much different status now because of the introduction of another uh, woman that he has been having in a relationship with for a while. All of this kind of coming to head in one summer so we have a biography film that does take place in a very set period of time. Uh, there are flashbacks. There are some moments where you get some broader story, but really all of the, all of the actual action in this movie takes place over a very short period of time. We have Adam Driver starring as Enzo Ferrari. Uh, we have Shailene Woodley starring as his uh, Lena Lardy, who is girlfriend. I mean, yeah, girlfriend on the side. And then we have also Penelope Cruz starring as Laura Ferrari, his official wife and also co-owner of the Ferrari company with him. So Chris, I'll just go ahead and set this up this way. Um, so my son is a, is a car auto fanatic and, and that's what he does for a living. He works with cars and uh, you know, I, I was expecting him to be very excited when I, we saw that I had an opportunity to see this movie Ferrari you? and he still hasn't had a chance to see it. But you were over at my house just recently for, uh, I forget which, which holiday event, something. New Year's. New Year's, that's right. New Year's Eve. And I think the conversation I heard next to me coming up about the film Ferrari, and I think Alex or maybe one of my other sons was asking, you know, what you thought. And I thought, I'm pretty sure from the side of the room, I saw you just kind of shake your head and groan and be like, Ugh, no. So now here's my lead up to this. This is my lead up to this review. I'm going to kick it over to you because I want to hear from Chris. Did I truly hear an audible uh, no, like when you're describing this film? And if so, I'd like to hear why. I'd like to hear the explanations. And then um, I'll let you know if, if I agree or, or disagree with your take on this film. So <laughs> Michael Mann's Ferrari, Chris, go. So, uh, this is excellent for podcasting, like, you know, groaning or shaking head because that you know, translates really well. So yeah. what I'll do is um, I will give you, I was expecting vroom, 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 and I experienced putt, putt, putt. Oh. So that's that's essentially my problem with uh, I don't Ferrari know if encapsulated. That really good or not. <laughs> I, I can't um, decide. The film just, you know, it... The acting was good. Penelope Cruz gives a good performance as kind of the wife who knows she's being cheated on. Uh, Adam Driver, no surprise there. Also good. Uh, where where the movie fell f down for me, kind of along similar lines, it's suffering from the Napoleon Maestro effect. Um, focusing a lot on like 
affair affairs or relationship drama as opposed to what makes that individual unique. Lots of people have affairs. Lots of people have relationship drama with their wives or, you know, paramours on the side. Yeah. That as speaking to me, doesn't interest me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to know what made Napoleon a genius on the battlefield. I want to know creatively how Leonard Bernstein was able to put these pieces together and what made him a genius. I see him conducting. Okay. But what, what makes him unique? What makes him stand out other thousands of other conductors with Ferrari, even though it was well acted and it was, you know, it's Michael Mann. It was the camera work and the editing razor, razor sharp. It's just the script kind of wasn't that interesting to me. And what I was shown wasn't that interesting to me. Um, so yeah, I, I felt like I didn't get enough of what made Ferrari unique. Um, there was a little bit where he was using his, um, his, one of his sons that he has with the Shailene Woodley character. And he's kind of asking him questions about a car and like mm-hmm. they have some schematics, I think out of the, and I was like, oh, okay. And I was, you know, trying to get some insight into it. Like maybe more time spent, I guess, in the factory or something. Like something showing me his genius as maybe an innovator or something. I got the fact that, I mean, this sounds kind of dumb as a pun, that he was driven considering the actor's name is Adam Driver. But I, yes. Oh, I wow. Got, I, I yeah. just got that. <laughs> I, got, I, got, I got the fact yeah. that this was a very determined man. But like... Take, for instance, I'll throw out another biopic from several years ago. Um, Michael Fassbender playing Steve Jobs. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows Steve Jobs was, you know, laser focused and had could be very caustic to people. But somehow I still felt like I learned things about him or got some nuance. Yeah. And Adam Driver, in his performance of Enzo Ferrari, I just... I don't know. I just felt like it was missing something. Can I, so, can I yeah. branch off? On yes, I, I, absolutely. Before I, I've rattled on enough. Well, no, I think you're onto something. And um, I think I, I appreciate this movie a little more than you, but I still can agree with you on the, the general issue with the film. And it is very much like you said, I think an issue that we had with Maestro, um, Bradley Cooper's Maestro as well. And that, that I may have had more than you, maybe a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I think the problem with these biopics and these films is you're right. We don't really get a sense of why this person is respected, revered or admired for the role that they're supposed to be playing. And I think it's just, they're taking for granted that we, the audience are going to just know, okay, well obviously if he's Ferrari, that he's (laughs) obviously he's a good business person or he's a excellent former racer or whatever. And we, we don't really get that. I think more than anything, more specifically to me, Chris, I think the problem is these films don't explore to us why the other characters in the film respond, react, or feel about that main character the way they do. It's all taken for granted. It is all assumed. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I think with Ferrari, with Enzo Ferrari, I mean, we have we meet people who race for him. We meet people who work for him. We meet people who are involved with him romantically. Uh, we meet people all, all around him and there's just passing tales of yes. Enzo Ferrari's an amazing man and Enzo Ferrari's uh, spectacular, but sure. we don't ever get any sense. It's hard for me to understand why people are going to react and feel and respond to him the way they do 
without giving me some of that background on him. And I think Maestro was the same way. It's like, I think I even said in our review, it's like, all I heard were people say, well, of course, Leonard Bernstein's great. I'm like, okay, but tell me why everybody right. thinks he's great. Tell me why everybody feels or this Or show way. me. Or show me. Show yeah, either me. way. Really show yeah. me. Yeah, tell me in, in terms of visually sure. telling me on the, on gotcha. the Yeah, whatever. Just give me some sense of it so I can be along for the ride with those other characters. Along for the ride. I, I, that was nice. totally unintentional. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that's the problem with Ferrari is that, yes, it – it just didn't explore enough about why people felt this way about this man, you know, in any direction to really make sense of why we should then care when things happen to him or the people around him. So you're, because you're right. Otherwise it's just, okay. All I know from this is yes, there's a, there, he, he had a car company. There were racers that raced cars for him. He had a wife that he was cheating on. Okay, that's it. I mean, that's pretty much what I got from this about him. And obviously, there's a lot more to get from it. Everybody else in the film seems to understand that. But there's no telling or showing to us, the audience, why. So anyway, I think we're on the same page with our concern with it. I do agree. with. I agree. Technically speaking, I think this is a technically proficient film. I think it looks good. I think it's shot well. I will say the driving sequences, I think, are really, really good. Yes, which um, not a surprise that yeah. somebody as seasoned as Michael Mann can make. You know, he director of Heat. He can make an action movie or like yeah. cars. He, he knows how to edit. He knows how to shoot things to make it interesting. Yeah, those yeah. those were good. Yeah. yeah. And I will say I, I I wasn't over the overwhelmed with anybody's performance acting wise, with the exception of, I will say, uh, Penelope Cruz. I do think was really good in this. Um, Adam Driver, I don't... I just... Is it Adam Driver with with accents? Is that the problem we have? Because (laughs) I didn't care for him in House of Gucci either. Let's... And I just... I don't know what the problem is here. I I mean, because Adam Driver is an awesome actor. I love him in so many things. Agreed. But what is it about... When he tries to play a part or or play with an accent or uh, you know in this case a hairline, I mean, what is it? What is it that just doesn't work from his performance? Because I I don't know. It just didn't I, connect for I, me. You know, I I didn't. I've heard interesting. You bring up accent work in this film. I didn't really notice. I mean, yeah, his, I noticed his a little, but the one that really jumped out to me was Shailene Woodley, and yeah. I've heard a lot of people like come down on her, but I I don't know. Um, that to me, I just felt like Adam driver, even though he, <laughs> he's kind of the central figure, I don't feel like he had enough kind of to do kind of because of like what we were saying, like mm-hmm. to show us the things like, so yeah, the film would, was all about people reacting. To right. Him I wouldn't and, say yeah. he did a bad job. It's just that I don't feel like you know, he was made to be kind of like a, like a robot almost. Yeah. <laughs> and so no, you're right. And I think so that's probably part of it. And yeah. so, but uh, interestingly, you bring up House of Gucci, which mm-hmm. Adam Driver was in that, yeah, and uh, directed by a different director, but you know, also an Italian. <laughs> so um, that film, to me, I mean, yeah, some people criticize it, and yeah, the accents were kind of crazy. Lady Gaga was in that, and Jared Leto mm-hmm. <laughs> doing the crazy brother. But that, to me, was more entertaining. Mm. And um, I felt like I got something. I didn't know a lot about that other than, yes, Gucci's a fashion brand. But I felt like I got a lot more out of it. And with this film about a famous person that's behind a big brand, yeah, I just something, yeah, I'm going to just say script. Yes, something about it didn't make it as successful. And over two-hour film, both Mm. are over two hours, 
you know, this one just, I, I was kind of bored a lot of the time. Um, yeah. so I think that that hurt my overall impression. So you mentioned, we both talked about a little bit of house of Gucci, another film, kind of as a reference point. Interestingly enough, I want to mm-hmm. bring up another one mm-hmm. um, because Mr. Man was actually an executive producer on this film, mm-hmm. Ford versus Ferrari. Oh yeah. Right. And mm-hmm. I like that. We reviewed that film, I think a couple of years ago mm-hmm. when it came out, I liked that film much more and maybe because it was a, it taught me a little bit about the competition between Ford and Ferrari and was about the people trying to do this race. I think it was a different race, not the, the, the Mille Miglia that this yeah. one was, but different race, but still oh, yeah, very was, important for both. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it was Le Mans still very important for both companies at the time, I guess Ford more oh, so yeah. than Ferrari, but still it was along the same lines, but it, I thought that was just much more interesting to me. And maybe because, like you say, I'm not a big car person. Yeah. So maybe coming into it, I care more about kind of what they were trying to do behind the scenes to make this work as opposed to focusing on one person. Well, so. and I think, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk out of both ends of my, my mouth here because <laughs> we in the past have said, I have at least said, when it comes to biopics, I do kind of like it when they don't try to do a birth to death. Hmm story and pick sure. a, pick a pivotal point of, of, of which time. both of these films did one they did the Mans and one did this other mile race. But so. the difference with Ford versus Ferrari is it was a, it was a, a longer story. Okay. And that they, they, there was actually time where you're learning about the characters sure. that are involved. You're getting some background on them. You're understanding what's bringing them together and how these two characters are going to, you know, learn from one another and work together. It's just, it was a lot of background time is spent on building a background with Ferrari. I mean, we pretty much other than a black and white little newsreel looking flashback at the very beginning, it's pretty much dropped in Which right. I felt I, it didn't no, work. I, that didn't work. For no, me. I thought it was a little of, odd. It looked, it looked, it, which is odd to say for a Michael Mann film, but it looked fake and it looked weird. And, and it I think looked, it was the aesthetic of like these newsreel type thing, but just something about yeah, it. it was I, a I don't off. know. Yeah. But, uh, after that newsreel intro, I mean, it really is. We're just dropped in and the story is kind of already underway. You mm-hmm. know, it's like, this sure. is already all happening. So the, the company's in turmoil. Uh, we we're trying to build up racers to get to this race and I'm already cheating on my wife and I've already <laughs> got this relationship with this other woman. It's like, that's all happening. So there was no real, getting a sense of who everybody is and why these things are important to us, the viewer. So Ford versus Ferrari did a much better job of that because it was a, a broader story and you had more time to kind of spend with each character and understanding their background and what they were bringing to the table. Um, and, and, and I mean, Ford versus Ferrari was designed as a more of a quote entertainment movie. I mean, sure. it's a stand up and cheer movie. It's a, <laughs> You know, overcoming adversity. That's right. That's not Ferrari. Ferrari, different type of film. Sure. You know, I'm not gonna spoil the ending, but I mean, it's based on a true story, and the ending does end in a different place where it starts. But you know, it's not a it's not a rip roaring uh, good time (laughs) type of film like I think Ford versus Ferrari was designed to do. So yeah, so I think people are gonna walk away like they like that film better. Understandably, this one, I again, I think it's an interesting film. I do like. I'm, I'm, I enjoyed watching it. I didn't get the boredom that you did, luckily. Um, but I can see how it could be boring to people. I, t- I totally get that. I mean, if you're not invested in the characters and it's just you're not being given enough to really understand why you should be invested in these characters, then yeah, any movie becomes really boring at that point. And I had just enough interest in what was going on 
to keep me engaged in this film, but um, it could have been, it could have been, it could have been better with a better script, I think for sure. And I, um, we, you kind of alluded to in the intro about, you know, why this film may not have been as successful in theaters. And I'll say for me, as someone who was like, you mentioned kind of bored at times, um, I think when you see Ferrari, you're thinking, oh yeah, there's going to be like tons of racing and stuff. And now the sequences that were in there were compelling. Like we've mentioned, we're good, but I thought there actually would be a little bit more racing and a little less relationship on the racing. Um, Now that that being said, the act, the accident scene that happens kind of later in the film, that is a pretty, pretty brutal. um, No, it is. Uh, Shockingly, shockingly. So, um, so there again, the things that are in the racing that is in there is compelling, but I just, I thought there would be more. Let me end with a positive. You know, I like to do that. Well, before you get the positive, I'll just say, like what you just described is very much the same thing we said about Maestro is that it, uh, yeah, it was so much more focused on the relationship than it was the, the person that we thought we were watching the film about and their work. This had the same thing. It's like, it was like 75% relationship and drama, family drama versus the actual business or life work and, and, and what they're known for. And Maestro is very much the same way. And I think that's also something that some people walked away from both of these films saying it's a little, it's, it's not what I thought I was getting into. Here's the thing too. And you know, people, you and I've joked about having Marvel fatigue or comic Mm. book. And I know pretty much every year you usually have one or two biopics that come out around this time for Oscar consideration, you know, you had Bohemian Rhapsody and you had rocket man. So those were two that, you know, Mm -hmm. in recent years, but this year just seems like there's just been an overabundance Oppenheimer, Maestro, Napoleon, Ferrari. I think by the time I, and this was the last in that sequence that I had seen, I, I, maybe it's a mea culpa. I'm kind of like burned out on, well, there's a little bit, I think there's probably a little bit of that too. I, I guarantee you that did not help its box office at all. What is it with biographies and just one word titles too? I mean, that seems to be all the ones <laughs> it we makes had, them right? seem important. I guess you know, it's so, like yeah. Ferrari, yeah. you know, sorry, but you were going to end on a positive. Yes, Look, I had positives I on positive. this. I would just say before I get to yours, I, sure. Go yeah, ahead. I, I, Penelope Cruz, I think is great. She's the only performance in this that really kind of stands out to me. It's like, Oh wow, that was, that was a really good, good, good role. Sure. Everybody else is just passable uh, from a performance standpoint. I thought, I do think the driving sequences were amazing and fun to watch. And sure. I would Agreed. watch those over again. Um, and I thought I, I was interested in general in what was going on and the story behind what we're seeing in the predicament in general. Um, uh, and that's, that's kind of it. So I'm at a three star level for this where I think there's enough there to keep my interest and get me going, but I'm not, it's not a high recommendation for me. So Chris, you, you give me a positive and let me know where you wrap up on this. Sure. So my positive, I, mean, I was worried you were going to mention it cause I was like, Oh no, that's going to be my, my end note positive. Um, I really enjoyed seeing Patrick Dempsey show up oh, out of nowhere yes. as a race car driver, Piero Taruffi. Um, he was he was a surprise to me. Um, yeah. I saw him earlier this year in the horror comedy Thanksgiving, and it was the first mm-hmm. time I'd seen him in a while. Mm-hmm. And to see him show up in this, also like in that, plays a very different kind of role. In this, also like race car driver, like you know, all white hair and everything. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, you know, kind of fun. Kind of kind of woke me up for the part of the film. I was like, mm-hmm. wait, is that is that Patrick yeah. Dempsey? You know, so that was that, no, that was kind was, of fun. I agree with you. That was good. Fun it little cameo. Didn't have a whole lot to do. It was yeah. a pretty small part, but uh, it was uh, fun to see still. So yeah, 
Yeah. So, and I think overall where I follow the film, if we're you know, going to do star ratings, probably, I guess, and then, you know, there again, maybe some biopic fatigue, probably like a two and a half. Okay. So, all right. That sounds about right where we were in the conversation. So yeah, I, I, I got a little more out of it, but I full, fully agree. It is a, is a film that's lacking and it just never quite gave us the reason why we should care about Enzo Ferrari. Right. Um, I'm not saying you got to turn him into a saint or got to make him somebody that we admire. I just need to know, I need to understand more why he has the impact he has on the people around him. And the film just didn't really share that. And uh, I think it would have benefited a lot from, from some of that, some of that background information would have helped build these relationships and characters a lot, just give them a lot more life in the film than, than I feel like what we got. So uh, that is Ferrari. Like I said, it's already off wide release theaters, at least the ones that we're familiar with, maybe still be playing somewhere near you. Uh, maybe still some bigger cities still have it running for a while, but that also means it will probably be online before too long, relatively quickly. So sure. Uh, if you are a Michael Mann fan of his films, I mean, I think it's a worthwhile entry into his filmography. I'm about 50% on Michael Mann films as far as seeing them. There's some I just haven't seen. Sure. Uh, but the ones I have seen, I generally like. Uh, I think he's a good good director. I, You're partial because of Last of the Mohicans. <laughs> well, yes, because I worked with him. There uh, you go. <laughs> yes. Right, yes. You know, we we had a... We had dialogue on the set of Mohicans. <laughs> we just call it Mohicans. Chris. He was we don't screaming at you through a megaphone, but yeah. you heard his voice. We don't do the whole the last of. <laughs> sure. You know, we just say Mohicans. Mohicans. Everybody knows what we're talking about. Understood. Yeah. yeah. He did shout at me through a megaphone at one time. So that's my claim to fame. I yeah, will, you've I had dialogue. <laughs> so uh, he's always going to have a special place in my heart in his films. Um, but no, I do think he's a very good technical director uh, of of these things. And, and I think Ferrari is a worthwhile entry in his filmography. Just the script could have been could have been better and could have given us a little more a little more to grab onto I think to to appreciate this film more so okay Chris are we ready to move on to our second review yes let's We've talk across the finish line with Ferrari okay oh man <laughs> and you know what? it just you bringing it up I never connected Adam driver playing oh a race there, car driver there was this whole Twitter really? storm about driver and cruise because her last night penelope cruise like cruise control oh my driver. god there are all these jokes yeah oh totally my, how did i miss all this <laughs> you good for you that you missed it no good that's for you. oh i'm normally so quick on those things and that's both of those just raced right by me <laughs> <laughs> there you go oh there you did go. not see that that probably would have helped my enjoyment of the film even more if i'd realized that going into it oh my gosh cruise driver yeah. In Ferrari. Oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Let's move on to uh, our next film, our second and final review, which is the film The Color Purple. Don't keep me waiting. You keep your head held high, just like Mama taught us. Whatever I say, go. You got to stand up. Hell no. There's gonna be some changes made. The Color Purple is another telling of the story that uh, a famous book, unfortunately, I'm, uh, Alice Walker. Alice Walker. Alice Walker, the writer of this novel. 
Uh, it was turned into a film back in, I think, 85, 86, if I remember correctly. By some Steven Steven, yes. Steven Spielberg directed that film starring Whippy Goldberg. Mm-hmm. Um, and Oprah Winfrey. Oprah Winfrey was in that as well. Yep. It, it had a, it was a big uh, big film at the time. It sure. did really got a lot of great attention. I think uh, uh, people really consider that a classic. You know, mm-hmm. so it's always a little treacherous when you hear that you know you're going to do another version of a beloved film, especially a beloved film based on a beloved book. This version, though, a little different in that it is taken more from the uh, theatrical, the stage performance of The Color Purple, which is a musical. Chris, I saw the performance of The Color Purple just a couple years ago here in our own hometown. As did I. Where a lot of the music that we heard was music that was from the, the show. So uh, that's the take on this. And that's how I think they are, there was enough rationale to say, let's make another version. Because stylistically and visually and, and, and tone and everything is very different than the Spielberg 80s version. Sure. Um, uh, the story, for anybody not familiar, it tells the story of... of um, uh, Celie, who is a woman who faces many, many hardships in her life. Uh, we meet all the people that she kind of comes into contact in her life, both people as positives and as negatives towards her life. But all along, uh, she ultimately finds ult- extraordinary strength and hope in the unbreakable bonds of sisterhood as she's pines for a lost relationship with a sister, her sister, Nettie. So with all that, Chris, um, I was... I've always been a big fan of the Spielberg version of this film. Yeah. Okay. Uh, always, always did really appreciate that. I generally really, really like the story. I always like these characters. So I was intrigued to see this as a new interpretation of the film. But let me ask you your thoughts on the color purple. Did this do anything to elevate this story? Did it do anything that was a disservice or a harm previous versions? How do you feel like this kind of, what does this do for the, the, the story of color, the color purple for those people who are so familiar with it and are used to the other versions? What does this add to the mix here? I, I have never read the novel, but I have seen the Steven Spielberg version and I've seen, as you mentioned, I both, both saw the musical when it was here locally in town. Um, for me, um, this made me appreciate it even more. So, um, it's, it's a tough story. And told like the Spielberg version, which was not a musical, it's it is it's it's a tough sit because there's a lot of unfortunate things that happen, and it so the musical, the stage performance kind of helps that a little bit because the songs can kind of pull it along and make you you know just the music can kind of sometimes be a little bit upbeat and help moments. Mm-hmm. The thing that then to me helped take this story to another level was the fact that you were able to take the musical aspect but then use cinematic language to make it even more dynamic. So for me, um, this is the best version of the color purple mm. that I've ever seen. I'm a big fan of the film. That's why it was one of my uh, top five films in our last episode. I listed it as one of my top five of mm-hmm. the year, um, even though it was a familiar story. Um, so, you know, you think, well, what can be brought new to it? Why can it, why will it, what's worth seeing if you've already seen the original or if you've seen the stage music, like it's just that broad. because we have reviewed things like, um, dear Evan Hansen mm-hmm. or, um, the, in the Heights. And those yeah. were, you know, so it's like, I'm higher on this than I am on those. And why? Because, you know, I was familiar with this already. And I think it, 
It's just, I think the director whose name Blitz Buzzo, I think is how you say his last name. Fun name to say. Um, I just think his energy that he brings to it really works for me. And, you know, the cinematography, just all the things just really hit for me and really worked. And, you know, last but not least, the cast. Mm -hmm. So now I'll shut up and toss it over to you, Alan. Mm -hmm. Uh, What what was your response with The Color Purple? Okay, so I'm just going to lay this out there. Okay. I did really like this film. Okay. So just go ahead. Like, just know that that's the underlying message. I I'm feel, I feel like there's a butt coming. I, I do have a couple butts, <laughs> but look, okay. I ultimately, even, even though I'm going to throw a couple things out that I had some issues with. Oh, just okay. know that I did like this film. Okay. I did really like it. I had a really good time with this. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Okay. Um, but you're saying your quotes aren't going to go in the criterion collection box. Well, it's, it, it's, it, it has nothing to do with the cast and the performances. They are okay. all stellar. Okay. Very, very happy across the board. Okay. Uh, this, the director that you mentioned, Blitz. Yes. Bazawul. Let's, we'll just call him Blitz. Yeah, Blitz. First name basis. He, uh, um, sure. So he's more known for music videos. Okay. He has directed some TV. I think he's directed some other pieces, but he was uh, known for doing, um, what was the one film, the one thing he did for Beyonce. Was uh, it Lemonade or the one that came no, out? No, it was a, a, a different than Lemonade, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Um, oh, gosh. Black is King? Is that the yes, one? Yes, that, yeah, that's okay. it. Which I haven't seen. And I, I have not actually either. have not seen Lemonade either. But. I have not either, but okay. visually and, and stylistically, it's very, very interesting. And the color purple is visually and stylistically very interesting. But I can't get away from the fact that I did feel like it's shot and edited more like a two hour music video mm, than okay. it is a film. And, and that didn't, that didn't bother me. Okay, but that's I can fine. see, I can, I, I, I hear that criticism. Right. I can say, okay. And that by itself wasn't my, my criticism. That is a, something you notice and you feel, I felt like, you know, I mean, guys, this is going to get very, very specific, but there, yeah, there's so many times there were shots that would start, on a close up of something in the foreground. And then it does this big swooping motion and kind of shows a big landscape behind. It. I mean, it happened like probably eight or 10 times in the movie. The actions like that, where it's like, it's shot very much in a, I've got a certain thing. Look, I want to show this shot in. And I just felt like the whole movie had this look that made it a little harder for me to connect to it. Wow. Um, okay. The other thing that I think that affected it is the story is a pretty dense story. There's a lot of characters. There's there a, lot a lot of, of actions. There's a lot of plot points that kind of move along between the characters. And I do feel like the film, I know it's a two hour and 15 minute film or so. It was already, you know, lengthwise, it was a traditional, nowadays a traditional film. Sure. Pretty much. Most are this thing. Yeah. But I do feel like it was, it was, it was pushing ahead pretty quickly. In a lot of places, which I liked, I liked the you fact liked. That it moved. I I I hearkened back to my story about Ferrari, where mm. it's one of those things where if you know the story, well, I think it's great because I knew I did know the story, and I I looked at it, I'm like, oh yeah, well, this is when she's going to go travel here, and then this is when this person's going to come sure. visit, and I know what's going to happen between these two people, but the whole time I'm also thinking, yeah, but you know what? If I if I didn't know the story and have already seen it in different iterations. Um, take a, take a character like um, who I know you're going to sing praises for <laughs> uh, Daniel Brooks. Sure. Uh, as Sophia, who mm-hmm. I also agree was amazing. 
And I, I just, I like her as an actress. Anyway. Yeah. She's my favorite part of Orange is the New Black. Agreed. So I just, I just, big fan. But if I were to watch just this movie, just this film version, the character of Sophia, I basically see, feel like I'm seeing Sophia's greatest hits. Like, okay. I see the moment she arrives. I see the moment she uh, has a confrontation with uh, Celie about uh, how, how to work with her husband. Right. And then I see the scene where she comes back and, you know, in the scene with the uh, mayor's wife. Right. It's like, okay, but later in the film, we're told that Sophia looks up to Celie and that Celie is the person who saved her life and has given her so much inspiration. I'm like, okay, didn't quite see that. <laughs> But I get it because, again, I know the story. Yes, I know that that's what this relationship is. Right. But that's just an example of where I feel like the film is we have to hit these points. We have to get to these plot points and we have to have And you didn't have, have that scenes. problem with the the stage version? Um, not as because much. I can, I, I, can see, I can see what you're saying, but I think I could see people making similar things because that's it's a very musical structure where you have supporting people yeah. who have a big number and then come back around. Maybe, like Hamilton has this. It's, maybe it's, it's more forgiving structure. in a stage performance because well, you do have a certain number of scenes and sets and sure. locations that you can work with and you've got to do a little bit of filling in the, the blanks yourself. Okay. In a movie, we don't have that limitation. I mean, right. so I, I just, I do feel like the film was going after the color purple greatest hits and like, let's move to this scene. We got to get to this scene. There's a sequence where, you know, Shug Avery is taking some of the girls to um, uh, Memphis with her. And there's a scene there, but we don't really get any sense of why and what's there and what's happening. It's like, they're getting quick hits quick. And then we got to quickly get back because the next plot point is Nellie has that, or a Celie has to have this happen. Hmm. So I just, I felt that way a lot of times. Again, luckily I knew the story, so it did not cause me to not enjoy the film. It just, I felt, I felt rushed. I felt, I felt it was, uh, again, the music version, music video version of the color purple stretched out to two hours. Hmm. That all said, Chris, I did really like it. I mean, I do think (laughs) it's really good. I think it's extremely well acted. I think the, the songs are, are wonderfully performed. Um, I think most of the musical numbers are shot and done really well. There's a few I wish they'd add a little more energy to. There were some songs that was really just walking and singing. And it's like, okay, I think visually there should, could have been something a little bit more interesting to done. Then they have some other ones that were more dreamlike sequences and more fant- mm. fantastical sequences. Overall, they worked They worked good. I, I think they could. a couple of them could have been a little stronger. I will say the... Uh, um, um, Okay, Suge Avery's performance in Harpo's club. Uh, play club was really good. I okay. mean, that was probably my standout scene where it's like, not only was it just great performances, a lot of energy, but visually it was also just really, really creative how they, how they did it. So I, I'm with you, Chris. I had a good time with this <laughs> film. It's not a top five for me, but I did really, really appreciate it. I just, I wish, I wish there could have been some a little more care to the storytelling pacing um, so we didn't feel like we were just seeing the, the plot beats that we had to hit to, to make sure the story worked. So when I guess, so the flip side of that is what kept me engaged with the film is the fact that the pacing was, was pretty brisk. brisk. Yeah. And I, now granted, I did know the story, so I didn't think about, you know, I was watching, I knew the story, so it didn't bother me, but I can mm. see that if you weren't familiar with it, that could be kind of a, a downside. If I had to, um, I'll first, I'll, you know, if I had a misgiving and it went, you know, they were okay, 
but I liked the other ones that weren't dream sequences. There are two yeah, instances yeah. I agree. where it's not that they were poorly done. It's just, I, I don't know. Somehow they didn't work for me quite as well. The dream, the dream two dream numbers. I think that they had, I'm with you. I actually don't think they were that great. Um, I, I get, I understand absolutely why you would want to have a dream sequence for that song sure. because of the, the state of mind that the characters are in and they're trying to look at something better than the situation they're in right now. Right. But yeah, they just, they seemed, they just didn't fit the, the film and it was kind of took me out of it a little bit. Whereas I'll say you called out the sugar Avery number. My favorite number was Sophia's uh, hell no. Oh, yeah, sure, I yeah. really, 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 really <laughs> yeah. liked that one. So yeah, I, I sounds like I enjoyed it more than you did, but you, you liked it. I did. So. No, I really did like it. And, and just to call out a few things, I thought Fantasia Barino as Celie was, she was fantastic. She was great. Um, I think she played the, the uh, repressed version of, of Seeley so well for mm-hmm. the majority of the film. Sure. I bought it. I, I totally bought her performance and I also bought her empowerment later in the film, the moments that she has of that too. So it just, yeah, she worked top to bottom for me. Um, Taraja P. Henson thought was, was good and very strong as Suge Avery. Daniel books already mentioned. Yes. Very, very good as Sophia. Um, it, you know, I filled out my ballot before I saw the color purple okay. for the year. So if I had to go back, I don't think this film would have changed much of my balloting, except I would have put Danielle Brooks on the list as a supporting actress uh, gotcha. consideration for sure. And close to that is Coleman Domingo as Mr. Who He's I thought great. was very, very good as well. He's very strong. Um, I will say his evolution is another is another time where I felt like the movie was just hitting the point, the high points. Okay. Um, so that was I, one area. I will say yeah. that um, his arc yeah. is good, but then the, the last little bit of his arc, I felt like was a bit rushed. It was I a mean, bit I rushed. Will, and so. I also don't feel like, I mean, again, I, I don't, yeah, you know, I, 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 I don't feel like, I don't feel like spoiling the color purple is really a thing. I mean, it's been around for <laughs> sure. so long, the story, but yeah. you know, Mr. Played by Coleman Domingo does mm-hmm. have some, sense of redemption redemption right but it also just kind of left flirting out there too i mean he does something towards the end of the film that is supposed to help try to redeem it's never going to fully redeem him because he was a a horrible person yes but there was a sense of trying to find some sense of redemption and he did right but when that moment comes about he's just kind of left off to the side and and right. again because it wasn't one of the highlights and the plot points we needed to showcase but that's just another example of where i feel like there could have been just some more fleshing out of just yeah maybe how I, these characters were the reasons for doing things the rationale for them kind of how these relationships were building um you know I, for example there's a, a character they call her squeak you know uh, in the film who just kind of dropped in. I mean, granted, I knew her from the movie. I knew the first movie. I knew her from the play. It's like, and she's just kind of dropped in. Oh, now she's with Harpo. And it's like, at one point she's no longer with Harpo. We don't really understand why nobody really says anything. And then now she's like one of Celie's best friends traveling with her. I'm like, yeah, okay. I get, I know that there's a story behind all that. And I get that you can't cover every single detail of the story, but I do feel like it was, again, just let's hit the highlights. Let's just get to the next plot point. And, the, the audience knows these people, so we don't need to fill in all the relationship details. And I, 
I felt like some of that suffered for it. So. See, you know, me coming in all starry eyed saying, I love this film as one of my top five still is. I still love it. But I just look past these little imperfections that you're pointing out. And they are little but imperfections. I will I agree. Yeah. Um, Cause uh, squeak is played by Gabriella Wilson, who goes by the moniker her. Yeah. Um, I knew she was in the film and when she was in it, just I was like, huh, wow, that was, that was really quick. But you know, I liked the film so much that I just kind of forgot about the mm-hmm. fact that she had been that way. Um, you mentioned Mr. Uh, Coleman Domingo playing that role and like the arc and stuff. Yeah. Maybe after the kind of redemption, if there'd been like just a dialogue scene between Celie where she's like, okay, however, like, you know, if well, there'd been some type of, and I'll tell you why thing. too, Chris, um, because at that ending moment, if you did, had not seen any other version, not read the, the original novel, the book, you probably would have thought that Celie is back with Mr. Mm. Because it sure looked that way in the movie <laughs> at the end. You know, he's there at the Easter lunch. That beautiful scene with the oh, tree yeah. and everything. Yeah, He's there at her chair. They're laughing and talking. And then he's like, oh, I've got kind of a surprise for you. And the surprise happens. And then the movie's done. It's like, okay, you know, so, but I, we don't want Celie back with Mr. I mean, I know that's not meant to be. <laughs> right. We want to know that Mr got some sense of feeling like he did something good to try to absolve a little portion of the, the, the harm he's caused. Right. But we don't really get that, that, that feeling at all. So anyway, again, it was, it was, it was, it was hitting the highlights of the color purple all done very, very well. But just, I do feel like I was watching a highlights version and I just, I just wish the characters had a little more to breathe and to feel and, to, to let us get to experience these characters because I did like all of them so much. So Got you. anyway, again, that is just more of a, you know, I, I if there was a three hour edit of this somewhere that had <laughs> a lot more be. character development and just people, we feel like we could really spend time with these characters and get to understand their relationships. I'd actually be in favor of that. I actually think that would probably work. I'm actually advocating for a longer version of this movie. Okay. Um, but yeah, I did. But ultimately, Yes, did really like it. Corey Hawkins is Harpo. Didn't mention him, but he's yeah. great. Also, David yeah. Allen Greer is uh, Reverend Avery. It was a nice surprise to yeah, see. Yeah, he was kind of my Patrick Dempsey for this movie, yeah. kind of popping up. I was like, oh, I didn't well, even know he was in this. I mean, two more. John Batiste oh, as yeah. Grady. Um, and did you know that the old mister was Louis Gossett Jr.? I did. I did not know that yeah. until after I saw it in the credits. I'm okay. Like, huh. Didn't realize that. So, yeah, some great, great surprises. And uh, um, I... I expected them to work in a cameo. Oprah was in, or no, it was uh, Whoopi, it Goldberg. Was Whoopi Goldberg who was yeah. in there. Yeah, I she expected was that to somehow be woven in, and, and I it think was. it was done. Yeah, it was done in a nice way. Sure. So, yeah. All right. So you, this is a top five movie of twenty twenty three for you. Yes. Okay. Although you didn't rank your movies, you were just telling me okay, right. in alphabetical order. This was one of your your <laughs> favorite second. five. Okay. Yeah. Uh, didn't quite make that level for me, but I am on board with it and I did have a really good time with it. So, uh, a couple misgivings on the pacing and, uh, the brevity of some, some moments and, and, relationships, but overall, I still feel like this is a really good, uh, interpretation of the story and, uh, I do recommend it as well. So that is the color purple directed by Blitz Bezawul. Uh, it is. As of today, again, just like Ferrari, it is not playing in theaters that I've checked in uh, our region. 
Um, hopefully if it's playing somewhere near where you are and you have a chance to see it, I do recommend it. It supposedly had a really big Christmas day opening day, like big numbers. And then nothing after that. So it was a lot of, there was a pent up audience to see this. I think people, it makes for a good Christmas day movie, Sure, but uh, it just didn't, wasn't able to, to retain an audience after that, unfortunately. So, um, but we'd recommend, especially Chris, but I recommend as well, uh, checking it out. That's the color purple. All right, Chris, that's our two reviews. We're going to take a very quick break and then we've got some news to share and a recommendation that Chris will be sharing with you. I've got some Golden Globes wrap-ups to talk about. Uh, and then I've got a new little segment. Probably won't be something we do very often, but I'm still going to throw <laughs> it out there. Okay. And I'm calling Cruise News. Nice. Kind of playing All off about the about Penelope Cruise. It is about Penelope Cruise. No, it's, uh, <laughs> it is about our, our favorite actor, yours and mine, Tom Cruise. Uh, well, maybe just mine. Uh, <laughs> there are a couple of news items I want to share about that. So stay tuned. we got some news and re- a recommendation coming up in a minute. This is Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV, and we'll see you in a moment. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative, a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the TheMesh.TV podcast network. Uh, we had our reviews of the color purple and Ferrari, uh, earlier in the show, but Chris, let's move on to some news. We did have the first entry in the award season. Um, what do you call it? Uh, the award season schedule, I guess. Okay. Sure. We'll go with that. I was looking for something more glamorous, but no, gotcha. it didn't come out. The first entry into our award season, I guess, officially was the golden globes. Golden Globes, uh, kind of, you know, I, I won't, don't want to say that it's not been taken seriously as much over the years. I mean, it is one of the earliest awards. Uh, it's been derided at times because of the makeup of the, the, the panel of judges and people have been making decisions. The Golden Globes did go through some evolution and kind of is now managed by different groups and being broadcast on a different TV network. It's kind of tried to change its image a little bit and be a true awards program that, that uh, is taken seriously. Did it get there this year? I mean, I, I think it actually, I mean, I did watch the ceremony or had it on the background. Okay. I think overall their selections and I think the, the, the nominations they had were pretty, pretty strong. Okay. I think this might be a little bit of a, a, a teaser indicator of where we might be heading to with the Academy Awards. We'll see. But I thought, Chris, if it's okay, I'm just going to hit some of the highlights on the winners of the Golden Globes. You you did not watch this show. I did not, yeah. but this will save me from having to do homework when we make our Oscar predictions because you're going to tell me who won the Golden Globe. And that's a lot of times what people do use those for is kind of predicting where yeah. where the wind may be blowing. For so, so I'm going to save you the three hours or whatever yes. running time and boil this down in like one minute or two minutes. Cool. Um so the thing with the Golden Globes I always found interesting is they do have it split out for uh, Best Picture and for Best Actor and Best Actress. They've split it out where they have a categories for drama and then they have categories for musical or comedy. Mm-hmm. And that's typically where things are a little weird <laughs> because right. we don't have many straight comedies these days anymore. Right. You know, most comedy films that could be a comedy have a lot of elements of drama and vice versa. Sure. Your favorite film of the year? The holdovers, yeah, uh, and it was nominated as a musical or comedy. I would not have called it a comedy. No, 
but it definitely yes. has lighter elements to it and some comedic moments. But yeah, that's where I, I don't really gel with what the, the Globes do in that regard. Sure. But let's kind of play along with their game. And this is the way their winners fell out. Their best motion picture for a drama was Oppenheimer. Okay. Oppenheimer did win a lot of awards. On the drama side of their their equation, it was pretty much Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer won for best picture and also got for best actor in a motion picture, comma, drama, gotcha. which was Killian Murphy. Um, but then we go over and we look at the best picture for musical or comedy, and it was Poor Things. Right. Okay. There again. Uh, <laughs> Not a musical. And I'm assuming they put it in there because comedy, which... I, I don't know if it's just a matter of they just count how many people time times people laugh <laughs> or chuckle in a movie and that equates it to be a I mean, comedy. If, I think the I'm assuming this was a nominee. I think I'm surprised that I, what I would do assume to be a comedy, Barbie, yeah, Barbie didn't, was in didn't run away with it instead of Poor Things. No, it was Poor Things. So, okay. uh, the nominations for drama were Oppenheimer, Killers of the Flower Moon, okay. Maestro, okay. Past Lives, The Zone of Interest, an anatomy of a fall. Okay. Which, yes, I could see all of those being candidates for best motion picture drama. Sure. Then you go over to the musical comedy and you had Poor Things. Mm -hmm. You had Barbie. Mm -hmm. You had American Fiction. Okay. The Holdovers. May, December. Uh, what? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I mean, I see it's like dark comedy, but yeah, classifying that as a... Yeah, obviously not a musical. Yeah, that's weird. Well, and then the last one, because these both had six. Uh, sure. The last one was Air. Okay. Which, you know, again, Air had some lighter moments. There was some funny dialogue at times. but Ben Affleck looked funny. Yeah, but it's definitely not a comedy. <laughs> nope. I mean, of these movies, these six movies, uh, the only one that I think you could, you could make an argument for being a comedy was Barbie. Right. That's it. Right. Uh, and it did have musical elements that I oh. think yeah, sure. falls into the musical or comedy category a little bit more. But Poor Things, American Fiction, The Holdovers, May, December, and Air. It's almost like it's like light dramas. It's like, mm. you know, it's almost like okay. they want to separate it as heavy drama or light, light drama. drama. Which one are you in? Oh, we're in the light drama category, <laughs> and that's where we are. Okay. Um, anyway, huh. but Poor Things won for, quote, musical or comedy. Okay. Uh, best director, and they do not split out directors. A director is for any film. Okay. Doesn't matter. Was Christopher Nolan for Oppenheimer. Okay. Best screenplay, again, not broken out by genre, just best screenplay overall. Anatomy of a Fall by uh, Justin Triet. Okay. Um, hmm. Anatomy of a Fall actually won a couple, um, a couple of awards, which was nice to see. Um, best performance by an actor in motion picture drama was Killian Murphy, already mentioned. We got over to best performance by an actress in a motion picture drama, and that was Lily Gladstone for Killers of a Flower Moon. Okay. I think that's the only award it won was best actress in a drama. Huh. Best actress in a musical or comedy was Emma Stone for Poor Things. Wow. Mm -hmm. So Poor Things and, and Oppenheimer kind of won the big ones See, across the board. Because I think of Golden Globes being more um, commercial commercial yeah. and not critic based, mm -hmm. but poor things would seem to indicate otherwise. And that's why I, I think they, Margot Robbie would have just run away with it. I kind of feel like they've shifted, typed okay. it up a little bit and just gotten a little, little more focused on 
huh. all films and not just going with the ones that were always the the uh, the commercial the commercial winners. Okay, because that I feel like that wasn't even. I mean, it, the release on that wasn't as wide, so oh, I no. think that yeah, so interesting. It was considered a little bit of a surprise. The Barbie did win one award, which I'll get to in a minute, okay. which I think is. Kind of a crock, but anyway. Mm. Uh, best performance by an actor in a motion wow. picture, musical, or comedy, Paul Giamatti for The Holdovers. Okay. I'll admit, it's kind of surprised. He was up against Nicolas Cage for Dream Scenario, Timothy Chalamet for Wonka, Matt Damon for Air, uh, Joaquin Phoenix for Bo is Afraid, hmm. musical or comedy. Like, <laughs> don't you think of Bo is Afraid and oh. you think... It's a laugh roaring comedy. Yeah. <laughs> laugh uh, and sure. then Jeffrey Wright for American fiction. Huh. So Paul Giamatti wins that. I'm kind of surprised, but given those other items, which I don't think any of those were runaway winners, uh, I could see it. Hmm. Best supporting actor in a motion picture. And again, not drama or comedy, just overall was Robert Downey Jr. for Oppenheimer. So Oppenheimer won best director, best drama picture, Best actor and best supporting actor. But supporting actors aren't split, whereas Correct. the main lead actors are split That's between right. the category. Okay. Yep. Then best supporting actress, again, not split out, just overall, gotcha. was Divine Joy Randolph from The Holdovers. Okay. So The Holdovers performed pretty good. I mean, if I had to say that the films that really did well at the Golden Globes, it was definitely Oppenheimer, Poor Things, The Holdovers, and then we also had... Um, Anatomy of a Fall. Anatomy of a Fall, because Anatomy of a Fall got... Best foreign language picture. Uh, let's see. Yep. Best picture non English language. Uh, and then, of course, they had gotten uh, the screenplay. The screenplay. Right? Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So I think uh, it's interesting. They did, did okay. I mean, they also did TV stuff, but we'll, we won't go into TV. This is a film show. So we'll, <laughs> right. we'll keep it Keep on it that. clean. Keep yeah. it clean. Yeah. Um, so any just initial reactions? I, mean, I think you, Poor Things was the surprise. For me, um, we reviewed it on the show and I didn't like it as much as I thought I would, but I still, you know, appreciated it. Um, so it's weird to me to see that it has the splash that it did at Golden Globes. I wonder if that will translate to the Oscars or not. So. Uh, spoiler. Yes, it will. Um, <laughs> okay. I think it will. Okay. So Barbie did win one award. Oh, yeah. You, well, the Golden Globes. Which announced. you said was undeserved. Well, no, no, not okay. undeserved. Because okay. I think the, the, the award in general is kind of. An odd one. Okay. Well, it's a new it's a new award okay. that they came up with and started this year, and I think it's because they all I think they're looking at the Golden Globes and saying, "Look, we want to be a more serious awards contender, so we want to have better award choices and all, but we don't want to forget about the movies that made a lot of money and people <laughs> like." So they have a cinematic and box office achievement award. In other words, so just who made the most money? A little bit of that, or just who do we think had the most impact on the box office world in general? And I, I don't know. That's why I'm like, I don't really get this award. It's like, if you just want to base it off a of box office, then yes, just give it to whatever film made the most money. And it would be a surprise to no one. Because no, one. everybody, can everybody's going to know. Oh yeah. Well, Barbie made the most money. So, so there you uh, go. Barbie won this award, huh. but uh, you know, it had nominations for Barbie guardians of the galaxy volume three, okay. John wick chapter four, <laughs> Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, Oppenheimer, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, The Super Mario Brothers, and Taylor Swift, The Eras Tour. 
Now they tried to define this as an award of that are saving movies, kind of experience, kind of like impact on the movie community. So everybody was kind of saying, well, it's either going to be Barbie or it could be Taylor Swift era's tour, just because that really did kind of change some dynamics for a concert film to make. Yeah, sure. But it was Barbie that won, and uh, I still think it's a weird category. It's like, what are you trying to do other than just to make sure that you don't shut out Barbie? (laughs) I mean, I feel like that's almost what it was. It's like we're going to be serious about our awards and we're going to pick critical darling films and, and all that. But that also means the beloved film Barbie that it was also critically acclaimed is going to get left out of everything. So let's, let's have an award that makes sure we recognize those. Films do they, too. I guess this is getting off track, but do they give any awards for original song? Oh, they do. Yeah. And Barbie did win that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but not for the song you're probably wanting. Oh, interesting. So it didn't win for uh, I'm just Ken. Nope. Huh. It was nominated for that, okay. but it won for What Was I Made For, the Billie Eilish the Billie song. Eilish song. Yeah. Gotcha. Mm, that was the song that won. So I take it back. That is the one true award that Or Dance won. the Night Away. Was it nom- nominated for the Dua Lipa yep. song? Mm-hmm. Okay. But that, the, huh, interesting. Yeah, there were uh, six nominations. Three of them were Barbie songs. Then we also had uh, uh, a song by Bruce Springsteen from the film uh, Addicted to Romance. Uh, or no, She Came to Me. And the song is Addicted to Romance that he did for it. Okay. Uh, I have not heard of the film. Yeah. Uh, Jack Black doing Peaches <laughs> on the Super Mario Brothers movie was nominated. Sure. And then Lenny Kravitz's song Road to Freedom for Rustin. Mm. Those were all nominated as original songs. If Barbie doesn't win an Academy Award for one of those three songs, I... I just don't know anymore. You're going to go flip Jeeps out in the uh, parking lot and just <laughs> burn it all down. Well, they'd be, I guess if I was at the Oscar, it'd probably be like a bunch of Teslas or, uh, right. Yeah, that's true. but yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I just, and here's there again. We, I think I usually complain about this when we give our awards or when we talk about the Academy Awards. My thing is the song has to be used in the film, not during the credits. Okay. It has yeah. to be in the film. And like, now, granted, I think the Billie Eilish song is. It is. Oh, yeah. Um, so I think all three of the ones that were nominated are. But to me, like, I'm just can Like, I can't imagine that movie without that song. Yeah. All three of the so, Barbie songs, they were they yeah. were part of the film. Whereas I know there was the some, film. there's been buzz about the song for um, the Hunger Games movie, the Songbirds and Snakes or whatever. But that was just a credit song. Okay. And so I'm like, okay. For me, that you're disqualified. <laughs> well, I can't attest to the Bruce Springsteen song because I have not seen the movie. I want to say... Uh, I think the Rustin song, the Lenny Kravitz, I think that's a credit song. Credit song. Yeah, yeah. I think. Okay. I've seen the film. I don't but I think, yeah. yeah, it was a credit song. All right. Well, that was the Golden Globes, Chris. So okay. uh, overall, it was, yes, Oppenheimer, Poor Things, uh, The Holdovers to some degree, and uh, Anatomy of a Fall okay. were kind of all the big winners. I'd say that one at least... Won multiple awards and uh, kind of walked away pretty happy with the evening. I think what does that translate to me for the, for the, uh, for the Academy Awards? Of course, Academy Awards don't separate by genre. So it is all one pot. Sure. I still feel like we're on a fast track for Oppenheimer for director, best picture, best actor, maybe best supporting actor. Because I do think Robert Downey Jr. has got a lot of headwinds behind him on that. Sure. Um, And that could be kind of a body of work. Yeah, there's a little bit thing of for him too. as well. Yeah. Cause yeah. So that's the golden globes overall. Okay. I think I enjoyed it more than I have in the past. I think they've done some good things with it. So, uh, we'll see what happens. Thumbs up or thumbs down on the monologue. 
that yeah. has nothing to do with the awards. But right. I heard, not to I go heard, too deep. I heard a lot about it. So. Yeah, I, I'm, I, I, I didn't. I thought it was fine. Okay. I think he's gotten a, the, the Joe, Joe Coy uh, got a lot of bad press for his work on it. Supposedly he was only hired, you know, a couple weeks in advance of the show. And got you, you know, um, I thought the model, I thought the jokes were fine, but I think, I think, uh, the celebrities were already pitchforks out ready to, to uh, skewer him on it. No matter what he did on stage, I kind of got the impression. So. so was it any worse than like the things that Chris Rock got slapped over? I mean, it's kind of like, that's always been the thing is like, you kind of know, they're trying to be funny and they're going to make jokes. And yeah, it's going to be at the audience's expense. So yeah. I guess, was there anything outside? I, look, of- I don't think a lot of the jokes were very good. Oh, I mean, okay. writing wise, I just don't think they were good jokes, but I don't blame the the host for doing that. I mean, gotcha. he's, he's reading the jokes that are written. <laughs> sure. The only thing he did is he, uh, he called himself out, which I wish he wouldn't have like several times being like, if people didn't laugh as much as he thought, he's like, you know, uh, you know, well, I, I, I didn't write these jokes. They were just given to me type of thing. Or oh. if there was some that he did say, well, it was like oh, that one I wrote and I know that was funny type of thing. It was just <laughs> a little bit of that. I'm like, I think some of the other writers of the show kind of felt like they got thrown under the bus for a lot of stuff. But wow. um, okay. Monologue was fine. It was, it wasn't horrible. It was relatively short. Oh, um, okay. Overall, I thought the show was pretty good. They kept it kind of tight and um, yeah. Okay. I had a good time with it. It was all right. Um, all right. I got one more news item and then I want to hear your recommendation, Chris, for the okay. episode. But now, I did tease Cruise already. news. Cruise news. Yes. Cruise news. These Sound effect. Like in a cool way. <laughs> so uh, Tom Cruise was in the news a little bit this past week or two. And okay. just wanted to kind of. What, what has he done? <laughs> what has he done? What has Tommy done? Has he jumped on some couches? What, what's he done? No. Well, first off, uh, and this is just kind of more of a business. been jumping out of planes and making sure people know about it? <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll get to his stunts in a minute here. Okay. Um, First up, he did sign a deal with Warner Brothers to now develop and produce original and franchise films with them. Now, if you recall, most of the films he's been doing have been Paramount, Paramount films. Paramount, right, right. Mission Impossible is Paramount. Top Gun was Paramount. That's kind of been his home for a while. Hmm. But Warner Brothers just made a deal with Mr. Cruz so that we, they will be working together. Supposedly, Tom Cruise now has an office on the Warner Brothers lot. Uh, he is kind of considered one of their crown jewels now for, for their studio. And they're looking forward to making many films together in the years ahead. Uh, so it will be both original films and franchises, although I don't know what franchises they'd be doing. They're Is dead, he going to be in the DC universe with Warner Brothers? I doubt it. Okay. No, I don't think they're going to go with that. But I, I think whether starting some new franchise or something, I could see Tom huh. Cruise trying to do that. Because, you know, Mission Impossible, the last one didn't do as well as I think everybody expected. It's still got one more to come out for sure. Whether that franchise stays with Paramount or can move after that one film is released, I don't know. Um, you know, I just thought it was interesting. So, uh, Tom Cruise very still much in the movie making business. Can they keep making keep Top Gun on. movies, or could they transfer that over from? So, my next story <laughs> ah. is that just yesterday, actually this morning, oh. this is hot off the press. hot off the press. Uh, Tom Cruise may be heading back to the danger zone, oh, according man. to Variety. Variety is reporting that Paramount has tapped Top Gun Maverick co-writer uh, Aaron Kruger to work on a script for a sequel. Uh, they're hoping that director Joe Kaczynski will get back in the cockpit for another run at the series, which they are expecting we'll see Miles Teller and Glenn Powell 
sure. kind of returning back. Right. But obviously Tom Cruise will have some sort of role in it, I'm sure. I want as him well. to just be like sitting behind a desk yelling at the young whippersnappers. Yeah. Then I'll go could see be. it. It could be. <laughs> and have like um, a beard. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, kind of going back to the Warner Brothers story. So, yep. you know, Tom Cruise had made movies with Warner Brothers in the past. He made Interview with the Vampire, Eyes Wide Shut, oh. Magnolia, and Edge of Tomorrow were all Warner Brothers films. Huh. So this arrangement he's got with Warner Brothers does allow him to still make movies with Paramount and others. So Paramount has Top Gun. So Top Gun, the new one, would be a Paramount movie. But um, I mean, interesting, Eyes Wide Shut, Magnolia, those are two of my probably favorite Tom Cruise performances in this film. And I like Edge of Tomorrow quite a bit. Hey, I, I think like that's that a really okay. good movie of his. What was the well. fourth one you mentioned? Uh, Interview with a Vampire. Oh, yeah. And back in his day when it came out, back I was a huge fan of that. Yeah. So, yeah. So you are a universal Tom Cruise fan. Maybe not as much a Paramount Tom Cruise fan. I, I guess, yeah. That's Warner Brothers hearing. are, yeah. I'm sorry, yeah. I'm sorry, Warner Brothers. Yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. I'm yeah. I, yeah. I, Warner Brothers. to me, I guess I, I kind of am. Okay. Huh. Good to know. Um, let's see. So maybe this is, maybe I'm going to start appreciating his work under Warner brothers. Maybe. Oh, well, yeah, I'm just, I'm really curious when they say they want to do franchise movies with him. I'm like, okay, well what, what does that mean? Cause right now in my mind, Tom Cruise already has two franchises, right? He's got the mission impossible and top gun is becoming a franchise. It, sure. They're going to make more top gun movies. So, um, is he going to start something new or is he going to be more of a, just a producer on some, Franchise work at Warner Brothers. I don't know. We mm. will we will certainly see what comes out. The last thing in cruise news I was going to mention, <laughs> um, and this is actually an old story, but it just it came back up in this whole Warner Brothers thing. Okay, um, I just want to make sure we were all very very aware of uh, with Mister Cruz's future work that we'll be seeing. Okay, um, so do we did we cover the story last year that Tom Cruise is working on a film right now? with director Doug Lyman and it's at universal. So that's another reason why I think the universal deal kind of came to be because he's been working on this big project. That's a universal film already. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm getting confused. He signed on with Warner brothers, but he's doing a film with universal as well. So he's got the mummy. He did the mummy. He did the mummy with universal. And now this one is the universal movie. It is the one that takes place on the international space station. Have we talked about this? I, don't know. All right. Well, it is a space project in the budget of like $200 million film. Wow. Starring Tom Cruise, directed by Doug Lyman. And it's going to shoot scenes on the International Space Station. <laughs> of, of course. He's going to do a spacewalk and it's going to be There real. you go. The plan is to have Cruise perform a spacewalk. He would be the first civilian to do a spacewalk outside of the space station. I'm so surprised. <laughs> oh, man. Well, you I think know. it's awesome. Uh, so, okay. So universal. Yes, here we go. Here's Tom Cruise's. I'm sorry. I'm getting all my studio names mixed up. Universal movies have included edge of tomorrow, which okay. he did. Okay. Um, collaborated on edge of tomorrow. So I guess edge of tomorrow was a Warner brothers and universal collaborative film. Cause it also says that it was a Warner brothers film. Interesting. God, I'm so confused. Hmm. Where am I getting my news? <laughs> Fire the intern. That's what I say. Well, you know, Doug Lyman. Yeah, yeah. It's saying Edge of Tomorrow was Warner Brothers, but then this other article saying Edge of Tomorrow was a collaboration. Oh, no, no, no. That was Doug Lyman and Tom Cruise collaborated on Edge of Tomorrow and American Made. Do you remember that movie? 
That's the cocaine in an airplane. The cocaine movie, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Okay. Boy, I may in turn really screwed up my notes on this show. I'm, I apologize. I've confused everything. <laughs> well, Tom I'm, Cruise has made a lot of movies. He, and he's worked with a lot yes. of studios. Yes. But he is definitely going to be working more with Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers, because he has an office. Although Paramount is doing a Top Gun movie, and Universal is doing a space movie. <laughs> okay. Which will allow him to walk in a space. spacewalk. Yes. Cool. I think I just cleared it all up for us. That's where we are with it. I, you know, I am interested in, is, do we, well, we probably don't, is it a sci-fi or is it more of like a thriller action thing with Doug Lyman? I would assume. Yeah, I think it's like thriller action, action movie. And right. it also said that a majority of the film does not take place in the space station. So it's okay. not like a full up in space movie, gotcha. but that is going to be a part of it. Um, that is all. Yes, it actually mostly takes place on earth. And then the okay. character needs to go up in space to save the day. <laughs> okay. Uh, the universal chairwoman described Cruz's character as a quote, down on his luck guy who finds himself in the position of being the only person who could save earth. Oh, oh. yes. So Tom Cruise and Armageddon. Yeah, that's what it is. Uh, they got to ship Tom Cruise up into space <laughs> to stop something from happening. Look, I know you're chuckling, but I'm on board. I'm ready for this movie. Bring it on. Bring it on. It could be a fun popcorn, summer popcorn movie. Sure. All right. So that is all I've got for Cruise News. Uh, He (laughs) is now linked up with Warner Brothers. Top Gun 3 is a go and happening. And Tom Cruise is going to soon uh, be walking in space and we can all watch him and pay $12 to see that happen. So, (laughs) all right. Good. Chris, I'm done with my news. Okay. Uh, but we always like to leave people that listen to this show, if they've made it this far, haven't switched it off yet. It's a great reason to stay to the end because Chris <laughs> Rye has a recommendation of a yes. film that he thinks we ought to check out or at least ought to consider if you're looking for something to watch in the coming days and uh, need some recommendations. Chris is here with one. So what have you got for us today? So I'm going to recommend a documentary from 2023. It's called The Mission. Okay. Uh, it tells the story of an American Christian missionary, John Chow, who was murdered when he tried to illegally contact and convert some of the world's last uncontacted indigenous people. Uh, the film features exclusive interviews and archival footage, some shot by John himself, uh, and it explores themes that talk about colonialism, anthropology, religion, of course, and where do you draw the line between faith and fanaticism? exploration and exploitation, imagination and destruction. So it's really an interesting, interesting film. It is kind of a, it's kind of a tough watch because you know the entire time what the end point is going to be. I mean, they kind of mention it's, you know, it's a historical fact. We know what happened to this guy. Um, But it's just really, really fascinating. The fact that there was a place that basically man was not, they, rope the not rope it off but the island is not allowed governments keep people from going to the island on purpose hmm. so the the indigenous people that live there they literally are all on their own um it's really just kind of it's really really fascinating and this story happened recently i think in the 2000s i can't remember the exact date so i remember hearing this story in the news that this guy had been killed. Yeah. Um so it was just interesting to hear the behind behind the scenes and stuff. Um there were one point there's an interview with somebody that knew him. Um, I think he was a member of this guy's church at one point. And I'm just going to read the quote that he says. 
there's some sort of like idealism that's masquerading as God's calling, but this is behavior that's gone on for better or worse for 2000 years in church history. So I didn't ever feel like it was up to me to say, John, you're wrong. In discerning the call, we can mess it up. And that's kind of his, what he says mm. about what happened. Very chilling. And yeah. just, it's just, yeah. The, the interviews of the people are very interesting as well. So it's the mission. It, it's kind of a difficult film, um, but it's on Hulu and it's also on Disney Plus through the like because it's a National Geographic yeah, film, right. so that's how it comes there. Interesting, but yeah, it's called it's called the Mission, so it's uh, it's an interesting watch. All right, so. that is definitely one I'll have to check out or very curious about. Interesting, I had not heard anything about it, so that's a new one on me. Great, thank you, Chris, hey. for the recommendation <laughs> as always. No and that will wrap up our show today. So we had our uh, positive review of the color purple. Uh, lukewarm, middling to slightly negative review of Ferrari. And then we uh, shared some cruise news. We did some Golden Globes. And then Chris's uh, recommendation to bring us back down to a uh, serious matter uh, with the recommendation of uh, the mission documentary. Yeah, on not to be, Disney yeah, Plus. documentary, not to be confused with like the Robert De Niro 1986. Right. Also a good film. Good movie. Yeah. yeah but this is a different, this different is, yeah. thing. Okay. All right, Chris. Well, if anybody wants to reach out to us and talk about any of these reviews or any news items we shared, or just talk about anything in general, how do they get a hold of us? <laughs> they can send an email to info at footcandle.org. We're on Twitter at footcandlefilm, Facebook, Foot Candle Film Society. We're also on Instagram and threads, just simply footcandlefilm. Uh, we're on Letterboxd, where we try to track what we're seeing and leave quick takes sometimes. Do us a favor. If you like the show, consider giving us a star rating, write a review, or share with friends on whatever service you listen to your favorite podcast because it would help us reach new listeners, and we'd appreciate it. All right. Well, that will wrap it up for today. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll look forward to talking to you next time as we bring some other movies to review, hopefully some other movie news and recommendations as well. So uh, we'll talk to you soon. Take care. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.